Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Irvindale. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Christ Jesus. Today we conclude Mike's message on Luke. Notice what he said to him. He ends his statement this way. The Son of Man, he said, is Lord of the Sabbath. What's that all about? Let me begin my explanation by reminding you that I served in the United States Air Force for 13 years. And what I found while I served in the military was this, that healthy debate over issues between folks of differing rank was common. But inevitably, what would happen is the person of higher rank, when they got tired of arguing the point, they just pulled rank. They just shut the thing down because they were the authority at hand. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in verse 5. The Pharisees would have seen themselves as the ranking party in any discussion relating to the Sabbath. They would have seen themselves as the interpretive body and what they said goes. But in this moment and in this statement, Jesus pulls rank on them and the conversation literally just stops. Here's how he did it. He refers to himself as the son of man. Now generally when you see that term in the New Testament, son of man, It's a phrase that is considered to be a comparison of humanity in light of deity. But there's a passage in Daniel chapter 7. This is going to get interesting. In Daniel chapter 7, when the term son of man is used in a completely different way. In Daniel chapter 7, when the term son of man is used, it refers to a very special person who is seen standing in the presence of the ancient of days. The Ancient of Days is uh, a reference to God Almighty. And this special person who is being called the Son of Man stands before the Ancient of Days in equality with the Ancient of Days. And it is said of this special person called the Son of Man that he will be given a dominion and a glory and a kingdom which will be eternal. And it is said of this special person who's being called the Son of Man that all of creation eventually will come to be his servant. Now when you compare Scripture with Scripture, it becomes clear that the term son of man is a reference to the Messiah. And when you shine that light on Luke 6, 5 and John 1, 51, you come to understand that when Jesus uses this term, he is claiming to be one and the same with the person in Daniel 7 being identified as the son of man. When Jesus said the son of man is the uh, authority over the Sabbath, he is making a claim to his own Messiahship and a claim that he is equal with God. And it's a point that is not lost on the Pharisees. They understand what he's claiming. In fact, here's what's happening. Jesus is saying this to them. He is saying, you think that you're the authority on the Sabbath. But I tell you that I am the authority. I will determine what is in keeping and what is in violation of the Sabbath. And you can only imagine with that kind of a response, there's going to be an explosion. 
And there was. But you know, Jesus is right. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And while the actions of the disciples and of Jesus himself were violating the rules and regulations of the Talmud, they did not violate the law of God. And we come to the most important truth points. If you didn't get any of the others, get this one. God has no regard for extra-biblical rules created to govern external behaviors. Let me read that again. God has no regard for extra-biblical rules created to govern external behaviors. His focus is on the heart that longs to walk humbly with him. I grew up in West Virginia in a religious movement that proudly wore the terms independent and fundamental. We were Baptists, though we weren't just Baptists. We weren't American Baptists. We weren't Southern Baptists. We weren't even ARBC Baptists. We were independent, fundamental Baptists. And let me say that that movement that I grew up in got a lot of things right that others got wrong. But their Achilles heel was the extra-biblical legalistic rules that became an unnecessary burden for the people who were in that movement. If we open their playbook to the chapter of sin, here are some of the things that we would find. We would find that dancing is a sin. Now, I'm pretty confident that there are some kinds of dancing that very well may be a sin. I mean, if I started dancing right now, just the, just the awfulness of my dance would be sinful enough, right? <laughs> Whereas when Bella dances, it's very beautiful. Yeah. But to dance was a sin. To go to a movie was a sin. I'm sure there are movies that if we attended, it is sinful because of the content, perhaps. But point blank, it's a sin. It's interesting, though. That as long as the movie was being played outside of a movie theater and was called a film, then it was okay. For males to have hair that touched or went over their ears, it was sin. For females to wear pants, that was a sin. To listen to any music not considered sacred, that was a sin. To drink anything containing any amount of alcohol of any kind, that was a sin. To mix bathe, and I'm not talking about the shower or the bathtub. That's a reference to the swimming pool. For men and women to go to a swimming pool together was a sin. To miss any of the four weekly gatherings that happened every week, that was a sin. It wasn't a sin to have facial hair, but facial hair was frowned upon very, very heavily. Of course, I never understood that. I mean, aren't eyebrows facial hair? And for old men who have ears and and it's coming out of their nose, is that not? I mean, how did they get away with that? I don't get it. It's definitely a perversion of that rule. And unless you were married... You had to maintain a six-inch rule with the opposite sex. Therefore, holding hands, embracing, or kissing 
And I'm not talking about full-blown making out, okay? I'm just talking about a general kiss, right? Sinful. That's sinful. That's wrong. Now listen. Any of the above, any of the things I've just mentioned can be taken to a sinful point, can't they? Every one of those can be taken to a sinful point. But they can also be done with no sin whatsoever. The true sin is not in the dance, nor in the pants, nor in the music. The sin is in the legalistic judgmentalism that is based on extra-biblical criteria. When you have rules and regulations that are beyond Scripture, you have gone beyond what God has said, and you are making up your own divine law. And that's wrong. And it's why the Apostle Paul, I'm finishing up right now, it's why the Apostle Paul writes these words to the Christians in Colossae. It is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and verses 20 through 23. Listen carefully. He says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days, or new moons, new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. I read that out of order. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. It is clear that God is not interested in strict adherence to legalistic rules and regulations that go beyond his commands. He is not a God of legalism. He is a God of mercy and of grace. Now do understand that if a person continually turns their back on his mercy and grace, there will come a time of judgment. There will come a time of consequence. But right now, right now, he holds out the invitation to turn from sin And sin, I will define here as any form of self-improvement, rule-following, regulation adherence, or behavioral management to receive favor from God. There's nothing wrong with improving yourself. But if you're improving yourself with the idea that I'm doing this to, to, to gain God's approval, then you're barking up the wrong tree. Because the only way The only way that any of us can have God's approval is if we are covered by the blood of Jesus' cross and set free by his resurrection. That's it. That's it. You see, when Jesus becomes your Savior, he doesn't start working on your exterior. He starts in your heart. Because your exterior is a mirror of the heart. 
Do you realize that you can change your exterior and the heart still be rotten? But if the heart changes, the exterior will come along in time. And that's where he starts. He starts in the heart. And as you begin to understand who he is and you begin to experience his love and you begin to to grasp all of that, you begin to change and to transform to look more and more like him because he is the goal. Not heaven. He is the goal. And so allowing Jesus to come into your heart, into your innermost being, let me say it that way, and transforming you in there, And then things naturally begin to move and to change on the exterior. That's the only way to please God. That's the only way to have right standing with him. And I wonder today where we stand in that particular situation. Where do you stand in that situation? Have you just adopted religion and begun a process of external uh, conformity to the religion's rules? to try to make yourself right with God, if you have, you're still not right with God. You need to receive the Savior into your innermost being. And he will begin his work of transformation in his way and in his time. And if you've yet to trust in Jesus today, I would invite you to do so. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.